following presentation was recorded live by the Jewish Ethics Institute. For me, actually, a lot of people emailed me and missing the class, but please send me the stuff. People uh, interested in the topic. So, uh, so there's a lot of uh, personalities, biblical personalities in Genesis. Um, many of them have good leadership qualities, many those, many don't. Genesis was sort of, um, in a certain sense, about a lot of it was failures of the world. God created the world, as we know in the beginning. Immediately Adam and Eve fail, and then you have uh, the generation of the flood, right, where God destroys the world. A lot of failures. So supposedly, at least, Exodus is the beginning of success. The Jewish nation comes into being, and Moshe is appointed as a leader, um, reluctantly, as we'll see. So I figured it's a good place to start with looking for leadership aspects of people. How are you? Good afternoon. Yeah. So, um, so there's a few, I mean, there's actually, I only did some points that I can fit on the paper. There's actually a lot more uh, principles. I found a book, believe it or not, it's called The Genesis of Leadership, um, written by some Jewish characters. And it goes through the whole Bible, talking about different aspects of personalities. Some of this I did plagiarize for them, but some is not. So I'm just admitting my, if you're interested in this book, it's called The Genesis of Leadership. I, I, Nathan Laufer, with a forward by Joseph Lieberman. Anyway, so, um, so the first, the partial begins with, a little downer, and, and it's interesting is um, they talk about in business that it's always good to have a that's principle number one, which is a sense of urgency when you're dealing with let's say leadership, especially in business um, but in any organization when you have a crisis that usually gets people excited um, whether it's your board, your play leaders, your employees, your, your team your donors so many times a crisis is a good thing for an organization. You can get them to, to get people, the urgency of the situation to, to change. So actually the beginning of, of this parasha, Parsha Shemos, begins with that, where you have this concept of, um, as we know, Joseph dies and Jacob had died in the last week's parasha. The, all, all the family of Jacob is now in Egypt. And the famous... Um, Famous line the Torah says, Vayaka Melachadash, a new king arose. As we know, Jacob, uh, Joseph was the viceroy in Egypt, um, and he was very close with the government, obviously being part of the government. But um, as a new king arose, and it's an argument, seems to be an argument as to what it means a new king arose. Is it actually a new king? It was just a change in policies, which is always a debate whenever you're dealing with, um, historically for sure, in, in dealing with Jews throughout the ages um, but in every country there's always a question many times you could have a new leader to where things change drastically or even sometimes the old leader if policies change um, that can change things drastically so here it was historically the, the old issue of how to treat the Jews within the country and until now Joseph was very was within the government and once Joseph died it seems like all the policies start changing and there's a concern, and some might say even a valid concern, that the government had of the Jews 
taking over um, as we've had this problem in many countries. So it says a new king, um, I don't have it here, it's not on the handout, but I'll read you from the verses itself. It says, I'm a try, a new king arose over Egypt. And like we said, it's an argument if it was actually a new king or not, who did not know Joseph. Okay, meaning he wasn't concerned, he, Joseph is no longer around. Um, so the political connections that the Jewish community had were no longer relevant and available. So he said to his people, Behold, the, p- the people, the children of Israel, are more numerous and stronger than we. Come, let us outsmart it, lest they become, lest they become numerous. And it may be that if a war will occur, <coughs> it too may join our enemies and wage war against us and go up from the land. So a typical um, historical case of the Jewish people where the country they're living in accuses them of potentially being a fifth column um, and not being um, as... Uh, patriotic to the country um, that they're living in. Okay, so that's what happens. And he says, therefore, he goes ahead, and that's where it starts on the sheet here. In verse 11, it says, Yassim Allah Sari Misim, he anoints over them, he points over them. Um, tax collectors, it always starts with taxes. Right. It's a slippery slope from here. And then, Lamana Nosa Bisivlosam, in order to afflict them with their burdens. Even are in Miskinos and they built store cities for Pharaoh in Pitom and Ramses. This is a big question um, historically and, and uh, archaeologically whether they, some say the Jews were the ones who built the pyramids. These are referring to the pyramids. Till this day, the pyramids have these names of P- um, Ramses and Pitom. So some say they were actually built by the Jews in Egypt. I don't know if those can be proven scientifically, but, but um, some do attribute to the Jews. Um, so he has them build these cities for him. And the verses continue, As much as he tried to afflict the Jews and, and, so to speak, punish them, more they would multiply. And they just, um, getting, the nation was getting larger within the nation of Egypt. They gained strength, and it says, They were disgusted, maybe in Israel, because of the Jews, children of Israel. Um, so actually it says how they, the, some form of miracle that they were, they would have, um, it says the Jewish woman would give birth to six kids at a time. It's a pretty scary thing <laughs> for an Asian. You can uh, understand it. Uh, <laughs> I would be scared also. Was it six? I thought it was even more. There were uh, twins, six, right? Six at a time. Oh, six. So that's what it says. Um, it says actually the language, it's based on the language of the verse because it says six times um, verse um, what it says uh, I remember the language but the language there's six words about giving birth so it says that they have given birth six at a time so Paro also supposedly knowing that the savior of the Jewish people would come out would would be born um, was concerned so it says he he obviously made them enslave the Jewish people. At the Avon time, he enslaved them. He embittered their lives with hard labor, um, with clay and bricks, with all kinds of labor in the fields, all their work that they work with them, with back-breaking labor. Okay, so, so, um, so this is the context there um, of, of power. And then, of course, he goes ahead and decrees, also the famous decree of all male children, because he was concerned of the birth of the of, of the future leader that he saw would take them out so he 
decrees that all male children should be drowned in the Nile River. All female children were allowed to live. We'll see how that, that plays a role here. So this, so this is the context how the how the book begins, which, like we're saying, it's a sort of creating a sense of urgency for the Jewish people. Um, and uh, I saw a quote in the business, another business leadership book. I have two two quotes. One is from Michael Hammer, a book called Reengineering the Corporation. He talks about one of the great uh, records of group change is found in the Bible story of Moses. He also quotes this story of Moshe becoming the leader of the Jewish people as one of the great, great, greatest, I guess, clues of group change, um, leading from coming from no, from nothing, and leading the Israelites out of the Exodus in Egypt. And then there's another book called Leading Change, um, from the Harvard Business School, which says 50% of change efforts fail because of the leader's inability to generate a radical sense of urgency in the organization. The first thing you need for change is always. Um, generating the sense of urgency that we need to change. Otherwise, people just go about their daily lives doing what they usually do, and it's hard to get them to get them excited and get them to change. Um, so, so here, so that's the context here. Just putting it into context of creating the sense of urgency. There's um, another thing I pointed out here was, obviously, Pharaoh's leadership um, clearly was a leadership without values, the fact as we see, he was making these decrees, and the more he got upset about the Jews, the more he would um, <coughs> cause them to suffer. Of course, changing his mind throughout, throughout the parsha of Shmos and Vayera, next week's parsha, this week's parsha actually, you see how he Moshe keeps and come to him, you know, let my people go. He agrees to let them go, and then um, changes his mind. Clearly, that's it. that's the uh, the epitome of the opposite sense of being a leader without values. Um, which is a whole, that's the, ap- the opposite side of what we're talking about. Okay? You will pass in the plate. Take care of it. Okay, so that's um, value number one, as you're saying, now value number, principle number one is creating the sense of urgency um, and by defining threat, the threatening challenge and or compelling opportunity. That's a, that's Principle number one. So moving on to principle number two is what happens here. As we know, this famous story with Moshe is that he is he's born um, to these two people um, from the, the who are the from the tribe of Levi. His parents' names were Amram was his was his dad. Uh, Yocheved was his mom. It was Yocheved was the daughter of Levi. And Amram was her uncle, I believe. Um, and as soon as he's born, they know that they're going to have a problem because, as we mentioned, Pharaoh decreed that there cannot be, there should not be a. Um, that fork is from there. The fork on top. Okay, so the, the Pharaoh had decreed that all male children should be um, killed. So they realize that they're going to have, they're going to have to do something. Initially, they try to keep him in the house, but once he gets to three months old, a certain age, they realize they have to get rid of him. So they, they actually go ahead and they put him, famous story, they put him in his basket, send him down the Nile River, or floating down the Nile. Okay? Not exactly the nicest thing a mom could do, but the other chance was if the Egyptians would discover him, clearly they would kill him, like all male children. So they send him floating down the Nile River. Her, his sister, 
Miriam, Moshe's sister Miriam, is, uh, is actually watching him float down the Nile and she wants to see what happens to him. The famous story is that, that uh, so Pharaoh's daughter comes and, and takes, him out of the, takes him out of the Nile, sees this crying baby in the Nile, takes him out, takes him home. And of course Moses, very ironically, grows up in Pharaoh's house. I mean, there's the future leader who's going to fight the Egyptians, so to speak, and take out the whole Israelite nation, the whole Klai Israel from Egypt, is actually brought up in the king in Pharaoh's house himself, um, by Pharaoh as his step-grandfather, so to speak, and by Pharaoh's daughter. Okay, so that's, that's the context here. Um, so, what's amazing is if you look at the verses here, in number chapter verse 11 chapter 2 verse 11 um, by the way so just to, just to fill in some of the blanks here so Pharaoh's daughter goes down to bathe by the river she sees this basket now uh, Miriam who's Moses' sister is watching all this she sees Pharaoh's sister take out the baby Moses so she goes over there and she tries actually Pharaoh's sister tries nursing her tries to get other people other Egyptian nursemaids to nurse the baby he doesn't want to um, take the milk. So she goes. So, the, so then Miriam, the sister of Moses, comes over and says, "Listen, it's probably a Jewish kid. He only wants to nurse, nurse from a Jewish, uh, um, Jewish nursemaid. Um, so I'll go find a Jewish woman to nurse." So she goes, and of course she finds her own mother, who is the mother of Moses, to nurse. Of course, then he nurses, um, and uh, and then again he goes back. He's brought up in the house of Pharaoh. So. If you look, what's amazing is the Torah literally identifies at this point the beginning of Moshe's first time he leaves the palace. And he's a teenager at this stage already. Verse 11. And it's the first time he's, again, he's grown up in the palace of, of Pharaoh. Of the Pharaoh. So he really never met his own people. He doesn't know anything about Judaism. And Judaism didn't exist at the time. It wasn't technically Judaism. But he, does, he never met his own, his own people because he's growing up in the Egyptian palace. But he knew he was... Jewish, right? he knew it he seems like he, yes, he knew. He knew he was Jewish. He knew he was from those people. But again, he never left the palace. He grew up in a sheltered um, lifestyle. And then, so the verse goes on and says, if you look on top of your page, it says, it came to pass, happened in those days, that Moses grew up and went out to his brothers. So he decided, listen, let me check out my family. And he goes out again. Like I said, he seems like he's, in, he's a teenager at this point. And he went out to his brothers, looked at their burdens, Okay, and he sees them working as slaves, his own Jewish people. He saw an Egyptian man striking a Hebrew man of his brothers. So he sees an Egyptian taskmaster hitting a, a Jewish a slave. And Rayifen Kolkos, as he looks, he turns this way and that way. Um, and he sees there's no other man. And I see a cut off the Hebrew here. He says, uh, he sees Ein Ishvayach Es Hamitri. And so he strikes the Mitri. He hits him. He kills him. He kills the Egyptian who was who was striking um, this this Jewish person. Turn this way and that, and there's a big question, a big discussion as to what that means. Obviously, he wanted to make sure no one sees him. A simple interpretation. Um, he saw there was no man. Some say the more esoterical interpretation. Rashi says is he was seeing if there were any future good people would come out of this Egyptian, looking into his future offspring. But but literally it means he was looking around, make sure no one saw him kill him. Straight, he kills this Egyptian soldier, so to speak, and he, hides him in the sand, buries him. Even at this point, Mo, Moshe already has kind of 
prophetic and well, elevated like status. Uh, it says when he was born, the, 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 it says Vayakitov, the parents saw it was good. So Rashi says, Edward says that there was a light in the house, a shining light. But so he, what, he, it's a medrash, it's not clear in the Torah, but what so exactly what, did he like? know Hashem already at this point? Yeah, well, we, we, we'd like to assume clearly he was a believer. He was coming, he hadn't, hadn't he, he wasn't a prophet yet yeah. until the next part, which is at the burning bush, as we'll see. But it's, it's all Midrashim. The simple interpretation, you're right, he's just, he's looking around, make sure no one sees him. We'll, we'll explain some other interpretations. But the point is, so the um, language here is two, two interesting things. It says, Vayigdal Moshe. Moshe grew up. Okay, that's the simple interpretation. Um, right, Moses grew up. Literally, he was, starts with his child. The simple interpretation means he grew up. Now, the word um, we see it later on is the word gadol in Hebrew means big. Okay, but it means here it's used in a verb form, meaning he grew up. Vayagdel Moshe. Sorry, Vayigdal Moshe. He grew. Grew up. That would be the simple interpretation. But the word gadol, interestingly enough, it's also used, used as an, for the word adult. Okay, when you say someone get, got borrowed bar mitzvah, they became a gadol. That means they became an adult. So it's used as grew or an adult. It also, interestingly enough, is used for the word for a leader. Um, when you say, in, in modern, even in modern Hebrew, you say a gadol b'Yisrael. He's a great leader in, in the Jewish nation. Okay, so it's the same word. So the word for adult, in this case grew up, is also could be a word um, for leader. So, so of course, so they, this is where it gets into the leadership issue. But they say here, the word Vayigdal Moshe doesn't mean, besides, he grew up in the literal sense, became an adult, but he also grew, this is the point where he became the leader, so to speak, where you saw his leadership capabilities, which is what? Which is the fact that he had compassion, that he saw another, some, a, a injustice happening, okay, he saw an injustice happening, and his, an Egyptian taskmaster was beating a Jew, a Jewish slave, and he went ahead and made sure to, to stop the injustice by killing the Egyptians. Okay? Um, so this is what they talk about here, that this concept, of, this is a major principle of leadership, is obviously empathizing with other people um, and doing courageous acts, or in this case, or not allowing an injustice to happen. Those are actually three different things. One is, again, empathizing with someone else, realizing this is a very important concept. I've seen a lot written about this in, the, in many um, Jewish texts which is uh, the concept of, of really growing up. This is interesting. When you start, when you take a baby as a child, so the baby just knows of its own existence. That's why they cry at 2 a.m. You have to change the diaper. They, they don't care that they're waking up their parents or, or uh, it never happened to right? Okay, they, so they, they have no concept of anyone besides self. That's really what a, a, a baby is, any child. As the baby gets a little older, finally, you know, like maybe a year or two, they start realizing there are other people out there besides themselves. And as they mature, the um, more mature they get, the more they are less self-centered. And as we know, there are many adults who, for their whole life, they remain in that, in that baby state. They only look at themselves. It's all about I. The question is, it's all about I. Growing up, and in this case, the, the extreme leadership is is realizing there's more. Usually it becomes, okay, so at a certain stage in life you realize your family is not all about you. It's also a family. You get married, there's a spouse, you have children. But even harder than that is realizing everyone else out there. There's a whole world out there. It's not just about yourself. Order, and this is a basic Jewish concept in general, which is a community, the sense of community, not just caring about it. You know, in, in, uh, I think in the secular world, 
independence is viewed as a good thing. In, Ju- in Judaism, independence is not necessarily viewed as, good th- as a good thing, meaning there's a sense of community, that we have to be interdependent on each other. We're all part of, uh, we're, all in, we're all in this together. So there's no such thing as, uh, you know, okay, that's his problem, it's, my, it's not my problem. So that sense that we, as we mature, we feel about our family, whether it's our parents, whether it's our spouse, our, our children, which you realize it's not just about me, so that sense of I, of broadening the I, that it's, it's, again, it's not me and them. It's all one big I. So that's the concept of, in, gen- in general, Judaism, that we're, it's a good thing to be interdependent and not independent. Um, secondly, as a leader, for sure, that you have to realize that everything that happens to anyone, um, especially in the Jewish community, so you fail for that person. That doesn't mean it's limited to Jewish community. Of course, people, great leaders, you know, it's, it's, it's everyone. Um, Are you, I'm sorry, sorry to interrupt, but <coughs> using the example of him striking the Egyptian taskmaster as, as, as a point of reference for leadership. He's still, he's still food, you gotta finish. I'll take the plates. So, as a point of reference, yeah, I'm saying it's not the. It's, well, that's the second part. I'm not focusing on the killing the Egyptian as much as he he saw an injustice. Meaning, he saw he cared about. He had never met other Jews till this point. He was stuck in the palace. He finally. The, the verse says he comes out. <laughs> he comes out. We'll get to that part. It seems like a, a, a sense of impulse. He sees it and he acts. Okay, so we'll get, we'll get to that part. It's a good valid point. But I'm focusing first on the part that he cared enough to do something. Meaning he saw an injustice happening and he cared about why should he care? So this guy's hitting this other guy. Why is it? Listen, I'm driving to work. I'm driving to work. I see someone uh, you know, having a fight. It was, it was just on, uh, I heard it on the radio the other day. There was, a two, there was a guy stopped at a light. A bunch of people. There was a light on Harwin and Richmond somewhere. Here and two women, you know, had, you know, I don't know, gave each other the finger. They both cut out, started having a major fight. Said the light turned green. No one went. Everyone was just watching the fight. Like 20 cuts, <laughs> like a traffic jam. Everyone just watched the fight. Said so he's literally going at it. It was a black and white woman, and then they just both got into the cars and, and left after the end of the fight. And then everyone started leaving. Like no one did anything. Right? If you care, meaning the point is, if you have empathy and you care about someone or about your city, about your community. You get out, you do something. That, that's the point we're focusing on at this point. That's what we're saying is a key point of being a leader is you have to care. Okay, whether it's a leader in the community, a leader, a political leader, a, even, okay, a, even the boss. I'm saying, meaning, if, I agree with you, even in business, if a boss runs a company, you know, he doesn't care about the employees, the employees will pick that it up. Seem, that seems to show Gives more them the later on in the story after he's you know, trying to defend, defend us at what happened in Mount Sinai. So, I mean, yeah, that of course you're gonna. Have, yes. I mean, this seems like he saw something he didn't like, and he. he yeah, but the point is, what the commentators are pointing at is, it says this is the point where Moshe was, where you see he had the ability to lead. He was a teenager at this point, but it says The point is, the Torah's language is Vayigdal Moshe. Moshe became great. This is the point where he, where it turned. Yes, of course we see throughout the Book of Exodus, throughout Moshe's life, we see aspects of, of leadership. Well, we're going right. to, this week is part of Shmos, so we're doing Shmos in Vayra. Right, okay. also like militant in some sense? No, we'll get to the, that's the second part, which is act courageously. We'll talk about that in a second. But the first key point I want to point out is, is, is this concept of caring, of empathy. That means, listen, he could have, he had a great life in the palace. 
He goes home. He had everything he wanted. He was he. He didn't have to. He didn't have to care at all about his Jewish brothers. What's irrelevant to him? It wasn't relevant to him. He was living an Egyptian life, totally assimilated. His his mother was the princess. His grandfather was the king. Like what did he? He had nothing. He had no reason to get involved. But the point is, he did. So that's that's a key point of his. His tribe was well Levi. They weren't enslaved. Right. As a matter of fact, right. It's a very good point. He's pointing out that the tribe of the Levites were not enslaved. They were right. the only tribe that was not enslaved. Le- Moshe was a Levite, so it wasn't even his cousins. It wasn't like his, his like his, you know, third cousins, or it wasn't his like first cousin. It wasn't his, you know, these. Are, he, he had nothing to gain. He had no, no, nothing to do with the Jewish nation. But he would think that. So what happens afterwards? He leaves. So it's not so much, you know, maybe the next step. If, if we're trying to say. I would say the argument no, would have been fine. He does. It is this. the next day. He sees another story. He sees two Jews right, fighting. He, says, he does something. So it is. He, he this changed. This point is he saw this action, this injustice, and it changed his life. At that point, he decided I'm not, I'm no longer to be sheltered in the palace. I'm going to get involved, even to my detriment, where my my his grand Paro is going to be upset at him, and his mom might also be upset. To my detriment, I'm going to get involved because an injustice has happened. Okay. So so we'll get to the second part. My point is, but I just want to tell two two stories that uh, one I just I read about, one actually I experienced. One is is um, just to show you what a Jewish leader is. There was a this took place in 1905 in the city of Brisk in in, in Lithuania, Poland, um, whatever it was at the time. It changed weekly. Um, so the 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 Briskarov, his name was um, Chaim Salvech, not the Briskarov. Chaim Briska was known. So there was a fire, there was a huge fire in the city. You know, 90% of the houses burnt down. His house was okay, his house didn't burn down. Most of the city was, uh, had to go into shelters because their houses burnt down. So says the rabbi of the city, this Chaim Briska went and he was sleeping in the shul. Slept on a bench in the shul. And they said, well, what's the problem? Your house didn't burn. So he said, listen, how could, if 90% of the city is in this situation, I have to empathize with them. I have to feel their pain. I'm gonna go to my bed. He said, I, I couldn't sleep. He said, I tried sleeping at home, couldn't sleep. But the leader feels the pain of, of what the people are going through, or whatever, whether it's in a workplace, whether it's not. <laughs> not yes, sure. Dad usually does do that. He does sleep Doc on yeah, he does sleep on benches to get to get to know the people. Yeah. I'm going to offer an observation that the new pope uh-huh. seems to have yes. embraced that philosophy, right. Very which is the correct philosophy. Smartly is out, you know, both, you know publicly and making sure it's known publicly that he's out. And he doesn't he doesn't sleep in the Vatican. Doesn't, he lives well, his residence is a is another place. Okay, some hotel I, for again. I didn't know about that, but that yeah. you know, that he's out talking to the poor, you know, ministering to them, yeah. making that's sure that's, that that's he's, he's doing exactly that. That's a good sign of leadership. So I, I personally like experienced that. a story myself. There's a um, my Russia when I was I was in Israel for the Gulf War. And uh, the head of the yeshiva was in the yeshiva called Mir. And that yeshiva, he was young, not I mean, relatively young. He was in his 40s at the time, but he had Parkinson's, uh, head of the yeshiva. Um, he was an American guy. He moved to Israel when he was 15. Um, grew up in Chicago. And, uh, I'm sure you've heard of him. Maybe Finkel. Okay. That's Finkel. He went to uh, Jewish day schools, uh, co-ed day schools. Became the head of this, the biggest rabbinical school in the world. And uh, 6,000 students. At the time, they didn't, and Gulf War, they didn't, they probably had 2,000 students at the time. 
but now they have uh, so he and he recently passed away like a year ago so what had the way it worked during the Gulf War is you had to uh, there was concern that Saddam Hussein this is the first first one George Bush senior um, so they, they, they he said as soon as America attacks Iraq he's they're gonna shoot missiles at Israel and chemical he claimed chemical warfare so everyone had to make um, there was a date set and the Americans gave him an ultimatum I think it was January 15th and uh, that they were gonna if he doesn't whatever whatever I forgot what he's gonna do if he doesn't do it by this in this date they're gonna they're gonna start attacking Baghdad so everyone had a what's called a sealed room you had to create a sealed room in your residence where you uh, basically you covered the windows with plastic taped up all the windows everyone had their gas masks um, I had to shave my beard actually the gas masks fit um, it was the only time in my life I shaved my beard off um, but and and uh, everyone had I mean you had you had to prepare these rooms and then you close the door as soon as the air raid sirens went off you close the door and you'd seal up you put plastic over the door and then you stay until the, you get the all clear um, so the first night the sirens went off so this was in the yeshiva itself they created for people I was in the dorm but they created like one general room for people I guess besides each everyone made their dorm room because you had to be on the top floor people on the lower floors gas would go down so the, the sealed rooms had to be on the top floor anyway like a long story short the the general sealed room was sealed and the siren went off everyone immediately was panicked you ran and you took your you, everyone would walk around with their gas kits your gas mask kits you went into the room and uh, and everyone was in this room there must have been uh, I'd say maybe 40, 50 guys in this room no bathroom um, not a pleasant uh, sight so and everyone's uh, also a lot of people were shaving their beards at the time they didn't shave them before they were shaving them off just to get the gas mask the siren is going off and people we didn't know if there's going to be a gas attack we sealed the room it's probably like 15 minutes later 20 minutes room sealed and there's like a knock on <laughs> someone knocking the door and everyone's saying we're not opening the door but we're not risking our lives whoever's out there it's his problem he just woke up so like this keeps on knocking and they're like first of all it's also muffled you can't hear it through the plastic everyone's screaming who's there finally he says it's the Russian Shiva <laughs> and no one believed it. Everyone said yeah, some guy trying to get into the room. He's, he missed. He missed. Anyway, it was the it, had, it was the Rosh Hashiva. He opened the door for him. This guy has Parkinson's. He, he lives around 10 minute walk from the Shiva. He walked while the sirens were going off to the Shiva. He said, like they let him in. He said, "What are you crazy? Like why are you coming?" He said, I, I, "I couldn't be. How could I not be with my students at a time like this?" So he said, "I was there in the room. <laughs> he risked his life." To be so, with the students. So a slightly different so, interpretation of the story is he put the lives of 40 people right, at risk yeah. to accommodate him. Right. Wasn't accommodated. He had a sealed room in his house. The point is, so this guy with Parkinson's walked to the yeshiva 10 minutes outside. I'm always a little um, <laughs> In order to be with his, to, he felt like as the leader of the yeshiva, he has to be with the yeshiva at the time. He couldn't, uh, so you might not do that. You're right. It's, it's, uh, it's, I, I, I'm just, just saying, like if there was danger, and you perceive danger, then you open the door and you ran no, so, Okay, but the point is here also, there's danger. Moshe killing no, this he, Egyptian. He, he risked Oh, okay, so he didn't believe it. You know, at that point, <laughs> he didn't feel any gas here. But the point is, right, so Moshe here also, he risked his life, Moshe, as we'll see. The next day he was caught. Right, so Moshe, the point is, if you care, if you truly care, a sign of true leadership is caring is caring about uh, about the people you're leading 
whether it be again in your business, whoever it is, your community. This is a, an important concept here. Um, so, so being caring. And again, now what's interesting is we look at the language of the verse. In Hebrew it says vayar. We say we pointed out vayar. Um, he saw there was no there was no man so we said a simple interpretation he's looking around make sure there's no one seeing that he's going to murder this Egyptian because he knew he would go to jail for it right um, so what the other thing the commentaries point out is there's a famous Mishnah which I didn't put here in Pithyavu which says in the place where there's no other person you got to stand up and be a man right so sometimes you're not the right leader. Many times, and as we'll see, Moshe didn't think he was, he refused the job. He didn't think he was the, the person for the job. Many times, even if there's, there's, you're not the right person and you have faults which maybe are not, uh, which don't make you the right leader, but the makom sheinish, the place where there's no other man, sometimes you, uh, you, got to, uh, you got to become a man. As they say in the vernacular, you got you to grow some, sometimes. Right? So, so the point is you, you, you need to, that's what it's saying here. Moshe looked around, he saw there was no one else. Listen, there's no one else around who's going who's gonna to stop these atrocities from happening. There's no one else who's going to stop this injustice. And therefore, um, he felt it at that point, he says, he, he took it into his own hands to, to do what's to correct the injustice. There's another important aspect of leadership is, even if many times you don't fit the criteria of each of you leader, but if there's no one else around, you gotta do what you gotta do. Was it a necessity that he grow up in the palace versus like he grew up amongst so one of the slaves point. and came Right, up. well, that's a good point. Would he have been able to achieve what he did, assuming he didn't grow up? Meaning, meaning that they do discuss that. That's a very good point, actually. And I remember now, I remind myself of the commentators do say, no, there wasn't anyone else. Why wasn't there anyone else? Because they had the slave mentality. It's the concept of living under, uh, they were all slaves. So, as a slave, it's very hard to rise up against the against the masters. Just like as we saw and see throughout history, the Jews. Jews. And by the way, they talk about it. Sham Shofal Hirsch talks about that in his commentary on the Torah. He says how this concept of Jews not fighting back when they're prosecute, persecuted. You see, it starts from here. They're all slaves. Not that it's necessarily a good thing, but this is uh, this is in our DNA, which we don't. You know, it's a, he points out more than that. What's fascinating is the next day is. I don't have it on the sheet, but the next day it says he sees two Jews fighting, and he goes ahead and he says something to him. He says, "Why are you?" He says, uh, "He went out the next day, and behold, two Hebrew men were fighting." He said to the wicked one, "Why would you strike your fellow?" He replied, "This is two Jews fighting. Who, who pointed you as a dignitary? Who made you the boss? A ruler and a judge over us? You proposed to murder me as you murdered the Egyptian um, yesterday, right?" He says, and then Moshe knew that people had seen him kill the Egyptian. But the point is, Rabbi Hirsch points out in his commentary. And Notori um, says, um, this is a fascinating thing you see in Jews. It's an amazing concept. You know, no one's, they're, they're all slaves. Not one of them rose up against their taskmasters. God forbid, no one says, all of a sudden, one guy, another Jewish guy comes along and starts bossing them around. Says, why are you hitting him? Like, oh, chutzpah you have. Who are you to start up? With the Egyptians, no one ever said a word. The second the rabbi comes and says anything, oh, chutzpah, who's he, who does he think he is? So you see this kind of, and this is something throughout our history, I want to point out. This is in our DNA. This is as Jews, we're the most audacious people. When someone, it's only against other Jews uh, that, we, that we have uh, the chutzpah. God forbid, a guy we're doing non-Jews, not a problem. We'll never, we'll never have the audacity to say something. It's only when, you know, when the rabbi says something, 
<laughs> who does he think he is? You know, when anyone else, throughout our history, unfortunately, as we know, we were persecuted and we, never, we didn't fight back, unfortunately. Well, it's interesting so, that they, so you they, see that same concept right here. Yeah. They view Moses as, as a Hebrew, not as an Egyptian. <coughs> um, they, I mean, yeah, again, they, well, they knew who he was. They wouldn't, have said, they wouldn't have questioned his authority. They knew right, he was a yeah, so that's true. They knew. They, everyone knew who Moshe was at a certain point. I mean, they knew he was oh. a Jewish baby. Listen, Pharaoh, the second Pharaoh's daughter, took him in. She knew he was a Jewish baby. He was only suckled by a Jewish nursemaid. I mean, he, yeah. So he knew he was Jewish all along. He just was this okay. special privileges of living in the well, because, South. Because they obviously viewed him as a Hebrew. And when he goes to Midian, they viewed him as an Egyptian. Right, so that's, a, that's a different issue. Yeah. Yes, that's true. They did discuss that also. Why they said Egyptian. That was a question of a of being thankful. The point is, you see, the key, two key points, what we're saying is, one is of leadership, one is this concept of empathy, of, of being able to realize there's, there's uh, it's not all about me, whether, you're, again, in business, where, you know, it's all about, many bosses have this concept, it's all about me making the dollars, so therefore I'm not going to, my employees are my employees, I'm giving them a paycheck, I don't have to empathize with my employees. So that's number one. Number two is, um, so empathy, caring about other people, realizing there's, it's all about the I. And we'll talk about that being a team also. Meaning it's not that even you view your employees as a, as a business leader, as a separate, if you do that, so the employees pick that up. And it's you and them. But if you view it's a team, we're all in this together, this is our company, so this is quote unquote our company. So then they're all, they're all on board and they want to do what's right for the company, as opposed to if they're just an employee. Okay, so that's number one. Number two is, again, makom she'enish, when there's no man, there's no other leader around. You have to you have to stop the injustice. Many times, there's no one else to stop the injustice, so that's another key aspect of being courageous. Now, I just want to point out that there, if you think about Moshe, it has to do with his upbringing. The four people, the four people that, so to speak, brought him up, um, were also pretty courageous, and I put that down here. Amram, who was his father, and the story that the Medrash says was that actually Amram, when as soon as Pharaoh decreed that there should not, uh, no, all males would be killed, so Amram divorced his wife, Yocheved. He said, well, what's the point of having children if they're going to be killed? Miriam went ahead and convinced him to remarry. Um, and of course, in that Moshe's comes from that, subsequently from that, from that re- remarriage, so to speak. So he gotten divorced, Miriam, who's a sister, goes ahead and says, like, listen, you're worse than Pharaoh. Pharaoh only decreed the male children should be killed because you're not going to have kids now. You, you, you divorced. I mean, he had Aaron, right? So Aaron. Already. Aaron was already born, yeah. yeah. He said, because, because you, you divorced mom, now you're decreeing there's not going to be females either. still raising kids. Why do you want Yeah, okay, but I'm saying, uh, he always like the more the merrier. That's his Jewish concept. Okay. So, uh, so that's number one. So Amram was his father who boldly went marrying again, knowing in defiance of, Fa- of Pharaoh's decree to drown all male infants. Yocheved, by the way, of course, went ahead and hid, hid Moshe and then put him in this basket down the Nile. So it's also being courageous um, against the decree. Miriam, the sister, fearlessly goes ahead and watches while he's floating down the river um, and intervenes on his behalf. He also convinced the father to remarry. So that's all part of it. And of course, even Pharaoh's daughter, in a certain sense, risked her... It's a very courageous act, the fact that she took in this Jewish baby, knowing that her father's own decree was to kill all Jewish males at the time. All Jewish little males. Okay, so contradicting the edict of her father. So did the Jews have other leaders at the time besides Moshe? What did you say? 
the Jews have other leaders at the time besides Moshe? No, well, Aaron, in a certain sense, was he was the one with them in Egypt. Yeah. So, so Moshe didn't say that later. So he was sort of a leader, and we'll see. Moshe tries to push it off on him. Okay. So another, I found this another other medrash which also discusses um, similar similar concept. Um, Moshe's leadership. I found this actually. I was giving a class once on animal rights. So the, the medrash says there that. God chose Moshe at the time to be the leader because of this story. So you know, Moshe was a shepherd. Once he leaves the palace, so after this killing, he kills his Egyptian, and he realized people saw him, as this person told him, so he had to, he, he has to run away. He realized he's going to be, the palace will be looking for him. He killed the taskmaster. Um, so he leaves Egypt, and he goes to uh, Midian. Okay, and that's, of course, where he meets, meets his wife at the well, so he comes to, so it says that he, was, he became a shepherd for his future father-in-law, for Jethro. Um, so, it's, so the Medrash says like this, it says, while teacher Moshe was tending the sheep of Jethro in the wilderness, a kid ran away from him. A kid meaning a sheep. Kid sheep. Um, he ran after it until he reached Hasua. Upon reaching Hasua, it came upon a pool of water whereupon the kid stopped to drink. When Moshe reached it, he said, I, do not, I did not know you were running because you were thirsty. You must be tired. He placed it on his shoulder, began to walk. He carried the sheep back to the, wherever the flock was. So it says at that point, Hashem says, your, your compassion in leading flocks belonging to mortal, mortals, I swear you will similarly shepherd my flock Israel. So at that point is when Hashem decided that Moshe is going to be the leader based on his leadership um, capabilities. So you see here also what the key aspect, seemingly according to this Medrash, of why God decided that Moshe was going to be the leader was because um, he, he had compassion on the sheep. Okay. So that alone... So uh, it doesn't mean everyone in Peter should become leaders because uh, you have compassion for animals. But the point is compassion, um, whoever it's for, meaning, again, realizing there's something out of my realm, that's what compassion is, that it's not just about me. Feeling uh, empathy for other, other creatures, whether it be humans, animals, is a, is, is a good thing. And that it says, according to this matters, that's why Moshe was chosen as the... Uh, so... Turning to principle three. Um, <coughs> um, so it says like this. So this is where Moshe, now God tries to convince Moshe to take the job. This is the famous story of the burning bush. So you have Moshe at the burning bush, and uh, God tries to, talk, tries to talk him into going back to Egypt and taking over and being, becoming a leader of, Egypt, of, of the Jewish nation. So, uh, so what, what, what does the verse say? It says, Moses said to the Lord, I beseech you, O Lord, I am not a man of words, neither from yesterday nor from the day before yesterday nor from the time you have spoken to your servant. I am heavy of heavy mouth and heavy, and heavy of tongue. There's a big question in discussion, obviously, of what that means. But the simple Medrash says that a famous story that when Moshe was in the palace, Pharaoh tested him to see if he's going to be the future leader. So he placed a, a hot coal in front of Moshe and a diamond. Now to see which one he takes. He takes the crown jewel, meaning he placed the crown jewel in front of Moshe. So the test was, if Moshe takes the crown jewel, he knows he's going to be the future leader, and he would kill him. So the famous story goes, as an angel, Moshe was about to reach for the crown jewel, Pharaoh's crown jewel, and, and uh, an angel came and pushed his hand, and he picked up a coal, he was an infant at the time, picked up a hot coal, that was the other option, and he, and he put it in his mouth. He burnt his tongue, and it says Moshe was a stutterer. He had a speech impediment. Um, it's not the guy you want to choose for your leader, right? Not the person you're usually going to choose um, to, to become a leader, especially he's going to have to deal with a politician, deal with, the, with Pharaoh to get the Jews out, negotiate. 
Um, you don't want to choose someone who has a speech impediment. That's so God here is choosing Moshe. A lot of discussion, as you see, that actually they discuss it, I didn't put it here, I'm, I'm remembering this as I speak, that they discuss how, how on the contrary, Jewish leaders throughout, and we always wanted, they always wanted, you wanted to have a skeleton in the closet. You, you don't want it to be perfect. Because the perfect leader usually is very high on himself and he lacks this concept of relating to the people. If you have the perfect um, person, you know, a good looking guy, six feet tall, and, and uh, everything, and everything, you know, he's a great orator, great politician, so that person is usually going to have an issue being a leader because they, they, they can't relate to the people. So you always want to have a leader as some skeleton in the closet, as something, either a, some defect. In this case, Moshe had a speech impediment. He was, he was a terrible speaker. He wasn't a great orator. Or whatever it is, King David they talk about had, had uh, of course, he came from the Moabites and uh, Ruth. and he had, he, every, The point is, it's, good, it's a good thing when a leader has a, a skeleton in the closet. Let's say, like, Bill Clinton, just to give an example, Bill Clinton was, was a great, uh, as you ask, some might say he was a great president because he came from Hope Arkansas, he came from nothing. And he could relate to the people. He wasn't someone who was aloof, who called himself aloof, he didn't, you know, in that sense. Yeah. I, I was just going to suggest that I don't think what you mean is a skeleton in the closet. Well, no, I mean, but I think you mean to, some, to some redeeming humanity. Yes. A skeleton in the closet suggests that there's something hit there hiding it. Yes, I, what I mean is, I mean that, yeah, so, to, I mean, it could be a, a, a physical defect, it could be also, right, but really, yes, not that they're trying to hide. It's not hidden. Right, but, but the point is that you have something where, you you know, the guy knows he's not king of the world, and he knows he has issues. So knowing you have issues is, an impo- is a key aspect of leadership, at least according to the Torah, and that's what Moshe is telling God here, listen, I got problems, why, why are you choosing me as a leader? I have a speech impediment, I'm not a great orator. You know, he, he realized he has problems, and he, therefore, he doesn't want the job. God talks him into it. Biggest mistake he ever made. I mean, not for God, but Moshe. <laughs> right, but, uh, but the point is, right, so he, he, uh, he knowing you have uh, an impediment is, is, a, is an important thing. So I put here, principle three is recruiting a guy into him by communicating the vision. Okay, that's, that's another aspect of it. With conviction and perseverance, potential coalition members who complement strengths and c- compensate weaknesses. So meaning if the leader, that's another aspect, if the leader, whether it be in business or politics or whatever it is, choosing a vice president, the president, um, know if you don't, if you think you're perfect, so then your team is not, you know, you're, not, you're gonna just choose whoever for your team. If you know your weaknesses, so then you know you have to choose someone on your team who fills in those weaknesses. So a person recognizing their own weaknesses is a very important aspect of leadership because then you can choose your advisors or your, your other members of your team your business in the proper, with the proper mindset, knowing they're going to fill in your weakness. That's another key aspect uh, that you see for Moshe of leadership. Um, so just to finish off the last thing here, which I spoke about, uh, for those, I'm sorry, actually all, any of you were here Friday night, I spoke about it in Shul, a little, this concept of uh, having, uh, there's a, and, and you just brought this up, oh, you just brought this up, um, about accusing people of things that they're innocent now. People very easily, especially in today's day and age with Facebook and Twitter and, and blogs where you can anonymously, anonymously post things on Facebook but in other places you can have a fake Facebook account, you can, have, you can anonymously really destroy people's lives or businesses and it's happened and it's a terrible concept um, which one of the downsides of technology today is where, where you can just post anything you want about anyone 
start rumors and, and you can't stop it, it goes viral and then there's no stopping it. It's a terror, it's, I, I think it's going to be, in a certain sense, one of the, most, the worst things of, of contemporary society where it used to be, if you have an issue, so you got to go confront the person. You have to identify yourself. And all you got to do is, is start a blog and you can just literally destroy lives and businesses anonymously, the people, the people making up stories. Huh? People actually pay attention to all that? <laughs> <laughs> You'd be surprised. <laughs> yeah, it is. It's unbelievable. I mean, There's it's so un- much of it, how can you pay I know, attention but, but the point is, you, you, even, even people who you know, question, you know, listen, is this true or not? But if it's constant... Yes, yesterday, CNN ran a full story on an individual who was suing Macy's, alleging racial discrimination. An allegation. CNN devoted an unbelievable and even if you write allegation, unbelievable if you write alleged, amount of time saying that he was walking out of the store with a multi thousand dollar handbag and they stopped him. That's it. And he's black. Yeah. So, do the people pay attention? So, they're creating. No, but it's, it's fair. I'm saying, even let's say, if you got in a, in a small scale, there's a synagogue, there's rabbi, if someone has an issue. With the rabbi, so it used to be you gotta speak to the rabbi, you gotta go in front of the board. Today, you just you could see just post it on the community. Uh, you know, they have like chat rooms or so many avenues, and you and you're anonymous. So you have an issue with the rabbi, and I'm not just pick on rabbis, it's anyone. So all you do is post something negative about him, and then everyone picks it up, and people. So that's the whole well. point of Yelp. So you're 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 having user reviewed restaurants. Right. So the whole but there's point a major problem there. Right. So the people, whole the competitors go on and post. Exactly. And say half the stuff, half the so reviews you read online. Is, like fifty percent of the reviews you read on products are people. No, but the point is these reviews, like you, you can't trust them. You go, let's say, on any site where you're buying a product, you want to see the reviews. You don't know if those reviews are coming from the owner of the company or the competitor who's giving bad negative reviews. It's, it's so you can't even trust them. Actually, I have companies now. That's all they do is PR to correct, uh, to put up the reviews and mm-hmm. and answer back. They, they you can hire people today to answer back. If you have a company that gets negative reviews, the only way to fix it is you have to hire these PR firms today who who talk back to the reviews. But even that, it's it's at some point it's too late. If you start at a point where you've gotten this company gets. Well, views, exactly it's over. What, what the product is gone. No one will use their service. The right. Once the rumor's out there and it goes, right. so you can't put it back in the bag. Exactly. So in Judaism, and just finish off, there's a, there's a concept you see from here from Moshe. Moshe made this mistake himself. It says it's called Choshed Bikshirim. That means accusing someone false, an innocent person, is prohibited in Judaism. You know, you, you have to always give the benefit of that, just so to speak. And that's what happens when you, the Talmud says you see this concept from Moshe. You read the verses here, it says like this, it says, Moshe answered and said, God, he, he says, God, give me, okay, you want me to take the job, I'll take the job. But when I come to Egypt, the Jews are not going to believe me. They're going to say, yes, I'm God, I told you, sent you, take me out. Pa- Pharaoh's not going to believe me, the Jews are not believe me. So he accused the Jewish people, he assumed they're not going to believe him. Okay, so what happens? It says, Moshe answered and said to, to God, behold, they will not believe me. They will not heed my voice, but they will say, the Lord has not appeared to you. So he's going to come to the Jewish people and say, okay, it's time to leave now. We're going to free you of slavery. God told me, God sent me, and they're going to look at him, saying, and Moshe was accused them of not believing. So what happens? So the Lord said to him, what is, what is this in your hand? He said, it's a staff. He's holding a stick. So he threw it to the ground, and it became a serpent. 
and the next sign was um, he says put your hand in your in your in your jacket he puts his hand in, inside his chest and, and he takes it out actually I'm missing it here um, yeah no, uh, I'm missing the, that part but he says uh, he takes his hand out and it and it had uh, leprosy leprosy as you know is the sign is the ailment the Torah says if someone speaks Lashon Hara it's not really a leprosy it's a spiritual leprosy not the leprosy as we know today it says if someone speaks evil about someone else um, that's the punishment is leprosy is this form called Tzarah I don't like using the term leprosy because that's a medical term but the point is God is sending and also of course there's the snake is a sign of speaking evil of gossip the snake is a sign of gossip so God was sending it says Moshe a sign you want a sign to give the Jewish people I'll sell you a sign but it's because you accuse them innocently Talmud says you see from here that someone accuses someone an innocent person of something um, it says that they're actually afflicted their bodies will be afflicted they'll be punished for it accusing an innocent person of, of something incorrectly is prohibited and as a prohibited, it says you'll be, you, you see from Moshe that he was afflicted. So afflicted with leprosy because he accused the Jewish nation of not believing. So that's another very important aspect of obviously when you're running an organization or, or a business or whatever it is, you have to have faith in your team. Meaning if you're accusing the people you're, you're leading or you don't have faith in them or your, your team in, in a work environment, you don't have faith in your own team, so obviously that's not going to work. Um, that's a problem. Um, that's, and accusing them of doing something innocent. So that's another important concept you see here of something that is required as a leader. There are many more things um, that we can learn from Moshe, but I have to wait till next year. Thank you very much. Merry, happy holidays to all. Um, and, uh, the next time we'll be meeting, let's see when the next time we'll be meeting. Is the I guess after what's two weeks January sixth is our next meeting January sixth. So everyone should have a wonderful secular New Year and a, and and a merry uh, Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> Not gonna get me to say that on tape. <laughs> Shut the tape recorder. Thank you.